We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another BuzzBeat podcast. This is Richie and I appreciate you guys tuning in to another episode. If you want to support our show, you can simply give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. So before we start our draft coverage, which we might even have some written content on our Substack as well, we are also going to recap player performances of the season. It's going to be very similar to those written pieces that I have over on Substack, which I will also put a link in the episode notes below. If you are a member of our BuzzBeat Plus Substack, you'll be getting these episodes 24 hours ahead of time. So definitely enjoy that. Enjoy that perk. BG is joining me today as we will be reviewing Mark Williams, PJ Washington, and Gordon Hayward. Brian, how's everything going with you? I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I guess I guess I can reveal this on the pod, and, I, and obviously you know this this news. Uh, my wife and I are expecting our second kid come October, which is actually the due date is like one day after my wife. So that's going to be an interesting birthday for my wife and maybe our new kid, which is going to be a girl, which is awesome too, uh, could have the same birthday as my wife. So if she shares that birthday with that daughter, uh, there's no way that she's going to have the same birthdays again. It's going to be all downplayed. So yeah. I feel bad for people that have like birthdays like on Christmas or or maybe like some other holiday where it just feels like it's on the back burner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does, stuff does tend to happen, I guess for some lucky kids, it's like that, you know, it could mean double presents or double celebrations mm-hmm. or whatever, but yeah, it does have the possibility of, uh, of, of drowning things out a little bit, but I don't know. It could create, like there's some creative things you could do as father and, uh, you know, spouse to celebrate, you know, to celebrate the two of them together. It's just, uh, I don't even know how often that happens. Like it does feel pretty rare where like parent and child have the same birthday. Like what is the, what are the, what are the odds of that? It does seem to be pretty infrequent though. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely lower than the, uh, the Hornets chances of landing number one overall. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so let's start with Mark Williams. Mark Williams is a rookie, obviously 21 years old, played in 43 games in Charlotte. He started 17 of them towards the end of the season, averaged nine points and seven rebounds on the season. So 
First things first, I just kind of want to talk about his game as a whole and how he did this year. And then as we end this and transition to the next player, I don't know if you read my Substack pieces. I didn't give a grade. I only said, did they meet expectations, fail to meet, or uh, exceed expectations? Something to that effect. So we'll get to that towards the end as we transition to PJ. But first off, Mark Williams there were some things that you knew about him coming into the season. And obviously you and Lee and Spencer did a better job of scouting him heading into the draft. So you guys had a better picture of what he was going to be. But from what I knew, his offensive game consisted of being a pick and roll scoring somewhat of a vertical lob threat role, man. And I think that was also consistent for the Hornets, and I think that was probably the most glaring, obvious aspect of his offensive game. He also uses that same length, that same build, that wingspan to be a guy that can score off the offensive glass because there were definitely plenty of misses for the Hornets, and uh, he got his hands on a handful of those um, throughout the course of the season and just those putbacks. That's always a good a good sign. But defensively is actually where I probably saw my most kind of like surprises in that area. I knew what you were getting with him in terms of blocking shots, altering shots, maybe making drivers kind of hesitate as they go up for floaters and layups and just just making players hesitate is something that is very beneficial because it allows others to recover. It's it's just something to note. We, we saw that in summer league. We saw it over the course of the season. But the one thing that surprised me the most, and maybe you can speak to this as well, is his pick and roll defense. I, I know we had the conversation of Clifford being a drop-oriented defensive coach. Uh, Dwight Howard back in the day when he was paired up with Clifford, that's all we saw. But for Mark Williams... Definitely more versatile than I would have given him credit for heading into the season. He's not a guy that's going to switch by any means, but he can definitely come up to the level uh, and recover. He's more mobile than I anticipated. So those are like the big bullet point talking points that I had about Mark Williams. I'll just start back, go back to draft night real quickly. You know, the Hornets had... uh, As we covered live that night and talked about subsequently, you know, it was... Kind of a <laughs> kind of a debacle what Charlotte did during the draft last season, just how they basically how they used, you know, how they got um try to get, you know, value from the 13th and 15th pick. And really it's what they did with the 13th pick that was so disappointing. But no matter what, coming out of that night, you had to be pretty happy about them getting Mark Williams, who um not only because this is a franchise that for years has been searching for you know, uh, this kind of center, uh, a guy that could protect the rim, someone that could, uh, you know, be a, be a pressure point on the rim in the pick and roll game. And since LaMelo's gotten Charlotte, you know, they've been in the market for a, a, a dive center that they could throw lobs to. And so Williams checked those boxes in terms of like the archetype and skill set. And, you know, he, even, even within that archetype, he has pretty special length and, Richie, you were just talking about his lateral, his lateral mobility, his quickness. That's something that he worked on a lot at Duke. That's something Duke staff, Chris Carowell, who's one of their assistant coaches that works with the big guys. That's something they worked with him a lot. And you could see even maybe for certainly from his freshman to sophomore year, and probably even like 
in the midst of his very impressive sophomore season, Williams, like really um, improving like that. And, you know, that means he does have the ability to, uh, to switch out. I think there were times this season we saw him switch out on the guys like Trey young, like, you know, and in a pinch, he can do it. It's not going to be the base with him, but um, he does give you some nice scheme versatility with what he's trying to, with, with what, whatever you're trying to do defensively, like, Certainly drop is going to be the base with him and he projects as a guy assuming, excuse me, assuming you're able to put proper point of attack defense in to really tap into it, which is something the Hornets don't have right now with the exception of maybe Dennis Smith Jr. That's something where he should be, should be pretty good. He's got the length, he's got the size. Um, He can really be a deterrent blocking shots, altering shots, I think even going back to summer league last season, you could very early see him have an influence by just like, you know, moving, rotating over to possibly contest a guy's shot. And instead of that person even trying to get it up, like them continuing to dribble along the baseline and dribble it back out. You could just see him having an influence in a lot of different ways with his ground coverage, his length, his mobility. You know, either was, there was one game late in the season where they, I can't remember if it, if it was Chicago or Oklahoma City maybe one of the Toronto games, but like they were, they were full on not just having him up at the level, but they were basically like having him like hedge, like hard hedge in, in blitz pick and roll. And that's something he showed an, an ability to do. Um, what was the, there was one game, I guess it was one of the games against Luca in Dallas where, you know, some of the coverages that they were throwing at Doncic with how Charlotte was switching and then, sending a double team right at his direction. So Williams switching out onto Luca and then having Gordon Hayward slide over to double and then just see if Dallas could beat them four on three, which they were um, unable to do. So again, I thought Williams from like a, an execution standpoint looked really good. Just like immediately looked like he belonged um, on the floor defensively, which is just like, I don't know if it's half the battle, but it's a big part of the battle. For for and for a rookie center to pop like that, granted, you know, a guy that played two years, played a lot of games before he arrived in the NBA, but something that that was that was nice to see. I don't, I think, with some other young centers, and I don't even want this to be like a commentary on on James Wiseman. This is because it's not apples to apples; it's not the same thing. And Wiseman's a guy who didn't play nearly as much basketball as someone like Williams before he got in the NBA, and. Golden State's a totally different scheme than Charlotte, obviously. But, I mean, you could just like to see like what Golden State's defense would look like the last couple of years, especially this year, even this year when Wiseman would get in the game. And it's not all on him. I still think Wiseman has a chance to be like a, uh, like a, like a, a really nice player in the league for a long time. But that wasn't the case with Williams, right? If anything, the defense, uh, it's, it picked up when, when he would enter the game uh, with, again, with that, his ability to be a real deterrent at the rim and for his versatility guarding pick and roll and certainly for his work on the glass. Like he rebounded the hell out of the ball this season. Yeah. Uh, Richie. Um, if you look at it on like a per possession per minute basis, um, 19 and a half percent total rebound rate. That's massive. 28% defensive rebound rate. That's huge. Uh, 11% or pardon me, almost 12% offensive rebound rate. Again, another place where you're seeing his, not just his length, but his timing, his coordination, his compete level. Like he, he wants it. And as he gets stronger, as that base continues to get stronger, he's going to be able to get even more rebounds. Because I do feel like 
some of the times when he was able to get taken out of the, a play for a rebound, it was often because, um, you know, he'd get pushed under the basket by a, a you know a veteran physical center, or if, when he was up in the air, guys could kind of like move him around a little bit, you know, and kind of like get underneath him. Um, so again, as he gets stronger, as that base gets more solid, I think he'll become an even more, uh, a, you know, an even a, a, a more dangerous rebounder, of which he's already. Going back to his time at Duke, summer league with the Hornets, his time with the Swarm this season, and obviously on the parent club with Charlotte, you know, he's really popped in that regard. One of the other things that I highlighted after the Hornets drafted him and into summer league last season was going to be what would Mark Williams look like playing in space, mm-hmm. playing the short role, um, playing in those pockets of space? What would the decision-making look like? What would the processing look like? Could he put the ball on the court? Could he make a, a simple read? Could he finish? Or did the possession stall out? The turnovers come. And I think it looked – it's something he basically never had to do at Duke. Like I I track – pardon me. I track and clip pretty much every Duke game and most possessions, uh, including the two seasons that Williams was there. In his sophomore year, I had like – I had maybe three or four like short roll possessions for him, like very, very few. And I thought it looked pretty rough in summer league. And I thought it looked like very good (laughs) the back half of the season. Not like he's, he's not like Draymond green or whatever, obviously, but I thought for a, for a rookie center um, and not like with like the offensive context, not being great around him. I thought Williams did a nice job showing touch unloaded a little short roll runners, short roll jumpers. I thought he showed uh, some some very simple but solid passing skills. And certainly his height and his reach, his ability to see over and pass over guys can really be a big help in those regards as he would could find like P.J. Washington in the dunker spot for a finish or find a guy cutting to the basket for a finish. It was simple stuff, but I just thought his his timing, his patience – in those situations, like he wasn't getting sped up. I, I thought it was pretty impressive. Um, I would say he slightly exceeded my expectations there. If we're going to go by this, this, uh, this, this, this uh, format here. Yeah. And then the last two things I would say about Williams is in, in this, this touches on a little bit, some of these short roll possessions, but it also goes to his post-up game and the occasional, you know, catch and shoot mid range jumper. I thought Williams showed really nice touch shooting the ball this season, like really soft touch on, you know, fadeaways out of the post on some of these short roll jumpers or short roll runners, short roll push shots. And like, again, he's got, you can really, you know, you'd like for PJ almost to get in the lab with him and work on some of that short roll push shots like that PJ got really good at this season. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure we can, we'll talk more about that in a second here with when we get to, to Washington, but um, I thought Williams' touch was good. And then the last thing I would say, and this would also be another like slight, uh, um, slightly exceeding expectations for me with Williams, but I think it, it will matter for him quite a bit long term. You know, Williams, when he was at Duke, very rarely would post up, right? Like he really, Duke really did use him as a screen and dive guy. There were some post ups and his, his best post touches were like, um, you know, go quickly, right? Like he always had a size and length advantage. So just like get position, um, seal, you know, high, yeah. low, go quickly or duck in, try to score quickly. And I think we saw some of that this year with him. We even saw those some more deliberate post-ups and where he, he would sort of like take his time and back down and, and get to a hook shot. 
or get to a jumper. Um, I don't think that's like a big piece of his package going forward. Like I really do think for the most part, you're going to want to see him be a screen and dive guy, um, a guy that can have an impact in the dunker spot, someone that might be able to give you handoffs and some playmaking from the elbow, hopefully. Um, Maybe that's further down the road. But the fact that he is unafraid and in fact is willing and can succeed by posting up on a switch or ducking in on a switch and taking advantage of those matchups. I think that matters quite a bit going forward because one of the strategies we've seen defenses the last couple of years, as spread pick and roll became more and more of a thing is they could, they could switch some of those looks, right? So, um, you know, there's a, there's a one, five or two, five pick and roll, um, with let's say it's Mark Williams or Mitchell Robinson or one of those kind of like, you know, uh, lob threats at center that screens and dives. Um, but if you can switch a guard onto him and there's no, and that the, all of a sudden the center has a, a size mismatch over the guy guarding him, he's seven feet, he's got a six, four guy in him or whatever. But if he can't take advantage of that outside of maybe get on the offensive glass, this has been the thing that's gummed up Utah's offense with Rudy Gobert the last couple of seasons um, because he couldn't take advantage of those situations. We even saw Charlotte use the strategy against uh, the Jazz and Gobert towards the end of the 21-22 season. So, I don't know, the fact that Williams was doing that, again, if you're building up things up around LaMelo and Mark Williams going forward, that's going to matter for you because LaMelo can do some stuff against the switch, and all of a sudden if Williams can do some stuff against the switch – well, now maybe you're 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 cooking with a one-five pick and roll pairing that has answers for different coverages, and that could matter if a game turns into a switch fest. That those two guys might be able to hurt those looks. Certainly, Williams has the offensive rebounding game too, but the ability to duck in, post up quickly, um, draw fouls, get dunks, that type of stuff, uh, it, it it means quite a bit, I think, long term for his growth. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, as you were talking about that, I was just thinking about the pairing that he has with LaMelo Ball. And as you were talking about the spread pick and roll and having, you know, obviously LaMelo involved as well. And, you know, it'd be one thing if he was just like a dunker spot guy, which that should be a part of his game, obviously. But the fact that you're saying that he can get involved in post-ups and making quick decisions out of that, then you would obviously make, you know, whoever switched on to him pay in that situation. And uh, there are definitely room for improvement areas in his game and, Maybe it's the touch on the mid-range shot. Maybe it's him becoming more comfortable out of the short roll. But to your point, I, I think there were moments in time this season where he actually you know, made quick decisions when he caught the ball around the free throw line, kicking it out to the corner, or maybe dropping it down to the dunker spot. I think with the way that teams do defend LaMelo Ball, because he's such a potent three-point shooter from deep, deep range that a lot of times teams might blitz LaMelo and get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. And you see that with, with PJ, like PJ is very good in those types of situations. Yes. And, it, and you know, obviously you look at him, he's, he, he looks more built for those situations than Mark. But if Mark can play out of the short role and you're now you're playing, you know, at this point four on three, and, you know, he's not going to be like a playmaker by any means, but if he can make a quick pass to the dunker spot or out to the corner, he does become more valuable, uh, obviously, in those spread pick and roll situations. And especially if LaMelo is healthy, I think, you know, obviously running a pick and roll with DSJ is very, very different. Sure. And I guess I guess one thing, too, that I, I can't remember if I mentioned or not, obviously, the blocks are there, but. You guys even made a mention of this, I think, in the pre-draft process, but he likes to leave his feet a lot. Yeah. He's so antsy to get that block. Yeah. I also think, too, like, you know, that second jump and the verticality that he has, it's almost like it it compensates sometimes, but it can get him into trouble moving forward when he's playing against better players, better teams. So he just needs to stay down and just let his seven-foot wingspan take over at times and not go for those little hesitations all the time because that's what... That's what teams are going to do to him. Yeah, I think working with Cliff and just watching more film and getting more comfortable, um, I think some of that stuff will naturally get like weeded out of his game, you know. And certainly you want him to be aggressive back there, but just like when he once he starts to sort of like figure out the dark arts and kind of like master when to go, when not to go, when to, you know, calculate those those percent chance, you know, those uh you know, there's the percent chances and, you know, uh, once he says like a better feel for that, um, I mean, it's not going to eat. There's no way you can totally pull that out of his game. Like he's a shot blocker. He's going to try to block shots. Occasionally he's going to leave the rim open for, right. for putback looks. Um, or occasionally he's going to get baited into, uh, you know, a shot fake and a foul. Um, like that stuff is going That stuff will happen, but cutting that down, you know, you know, whatever percentage can get cut down in the span of one or two years will, will, will matter for him. And again, I do think some of that is just like getting more comfortable, more reps, more film, 
um, et cetera. And yeah, this season, just some quick numbers, 71% shooting at the rim, um, 132 of 186. He was 65% inside of eight feet. And um, yeah, 109 of his 160 field goals were assisted, 51 unassisted. I'm guessing a lot of those were uh, putbacks. Um, 71 dunks, 58 layups, 23 tip shots. Um, and also had 13 hook shots and 17 alley-oops. Um, this season, you know, you would have loved if LaMelo hadn't gotten hurt, it would have been, it would have been lovely to have seen those guys play more together, uh, down the stretch run, but for whatever it's worth in the limited time that they had together, which was those two dudes, LaMelo and Mark Williams played only 321 minutes together, but, uh, LaMelo ball was the leading assister to Mark will um, for Mark Williams field goals this season. He assisted Williams 24 times with 21 of those makes at the rim. Nice. Okay. And then we're going to go ahead and wrap up on Mark Williams here. I guess one thing that I did want to mention, I think it's just because he does have good positioning with his defense and he has proven to me that he can be more agile. He actually got 1.2 steals per 75 possessions and his length obviously plays a big factor in that, but just being in striking distance of those steals helps them out in those situations. So I gave him a grade of, a, a you know, exceeding expectations. I actually kind of teetered back and forth whether or not he met my expectations or exceeded, but just those little things that we talked about, Brian, that's probably where I'd lean. Would you agree with that? Or are you more of like the meat? No, I would say he like slightly exceeded expectations, uh, mostly because of the, like the short roll stuff. I, I thought that that was really like the defining stuff. Like that was to me the thing he did that I thought it was going to take a little bit more time for him to even get kind of like this like base competency uh, in the short role. All right, let's transition over to PJ Washington, 24 years old, played in 73 games. He was the one Hornet player that had availability here in this season. So that's, that's a skill. I think availability is a skill. I guess if you want to point to that, he says that he wants to play in 82 games next year. That will be a uh, high, high, uh, hopes for that one. But anyway, restricted free agent this offseason. I think when you think of PJ throughout the course of his career, his play style is at this point, if you don't know how he plays, like you're just not watching enough, but it's little things here and there. He's starting to pick up on and little things here and there. He's starting to show a little bit of improvement and promise, uh, especially with the ball in his hands. I think when you think of his offensive game, Two things stand out to me, uh, one of those being the pick-and-pop game, but also this year I feel like he did a little bit better in the pick-and-roll game. And we mentioned that as we talked about Mark Williams and just playing out of the short role and creating passing opportunities and just being a quality, efficient, versatile passer. Like He's not just a guy that can do handoffs. He can pass it pretty much all over the court. And he does it at a pretty good volume, too. It's it's not like a limited role. Like you see him get downhill in the paint and make passes with, you know, pretty good accuracy. But also, too, you also see him as a pick and pop guy as well. And that's always been a part of his game. I think three point shooting in general for everyone on the roster, I would I would probably say most people in the roster went down this year, which I think PJ did as well. But I actually thought his pull up efficiency uh, went up this year. Could be wrong, but that feels like it was something that I noticed. And I think that's one of the debates that I have with PJ. And and maybe you have strong thoughts on this. Maybe you don't. 
he's a guy that's going to get paid this offseason. You know, whether it's $20 million, a little bit over that, or maybe even a little bit under, we'll see how the negotiations go. But I can't tell for the future of this team whether he is better suited as a low usage player, pick and pop guy, making the occasional play out of the short roll on the pick and roll game and hitting those floaters. Or is he better suited as a guy that's a little bit more prominent, especially if you're going to be getting paid in the lower 20s? And I think that maybe the numbers don't bear it out always, but I think with a lot of players out of the lineup this year, you saw him play with the ball in his hands a a little bit more. And I think that's where the pull-up efficiency comes into play this season. You know, from behind the arc, I feel like that went up. I can't get a good read on whether or not he's better suited for either. I do think that he has some versatility in his game where he can take a back seat, but also too, like if, if there are players injured or if the lineup dictates that he might be the number two option in a lineup, I, I don't have any problem with giving him the ball a little bit more. So that's, that's kind of my debate with him. I, I, I know how he plays, but I just don't know whether he's better suited as like a fourth or fifth option or a second or third option. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I do think some of that depends on certainly, you know, what the roster looks like around him, what lineup combinations look like around him. What is nice is like because PJ can defend and because he can defend multiple positions and he can switch yep. and he can be a deterrent at the rim. And because he can shoot, it's like he he, he can vacillate almost. It's like, you, yeah, it would be nice to sort of like, you know, with the, have the understanding of like, okay, that's what this guy's role is going to be low usage, spot up guy, good defense. But the fact that he does have the ability to get to a pull up game to score from the mid range, which is something we basically never saw with him prior to this season, unless you want to talk like, his rookie season, he did some like post ups in the short mid range, you know. But for the most part, this was the first time he was getting to like really like isolate in the elbow, isolate face up in the mid post. Looking at that this season, almost eleven percent of his shots were pull up twos, um, which that's up from one percent <laughs> just a year ago when he really was in the very much as we talked about a lot about last season was very much in that like catch-and-shoot capacity until maybe late in the year where they kind of started to put the ball in his hands a little bit more. Um, And and he was – I thought he played quite well in some of those lineups with, you know, it was, you know, he and Bridges playing together, um, you know, with LaMelo. So the fact that he has the ability to do that is nice that he can kind of move between those two different poles. But as you mentioned, like, depending on what you're – Paints a player something you maybe are you have expectations for it to be uh you know if it's if it's a lot of money you're probably expecting him to do more stuff with the basketball right um you know i do think the calculus has changed for charlotte a little bit just given like that the cap is going to continue going up they're going to get some dead money off the book when nick batum's contract finally clears (laughs) this summer and like i mean you know, they they don't – I think this time a year ago, it looked like they were going to have another max contract on the books going forward with Bridges. And, like, that's not that's not the case anymore. Like, even if he's back, it's not right. going to be at that at that kind of, like, uh, price number. And um, so, so, yeah, like, I, so I think – you and, and, look, P.J. played really well late in the season. He was available. 
Again, he gives you some lineup versatility, although less now. I think that's something you and I talked about this season. We really didn't see much PJ at five this year. Um, as in years past, that was such a huge part of his game. Um, or and it was really a big part of like what the Hornets were trying to do on offense under James Borrego. So, but that's still in your back pocket. He can give you some lineup flexibility because of his ability to play some lineups at center, guard some guys in the post, give you some different pick and roll coverages, switch, play at the level, trap, et cetera. And it did seem like early, in the, you know, I think where his numbers ended late in the year, it's not, I don't know, like the efficiency sort of like it is what it is, but six three-point attempts per game, you know, 35% shooting. Um, you know, obviously his two-point shooting went down from last year on way more volume, but – Given that his, uh, you know, he started taking more pull-up twos, he still shot 52% on on twos, which is pretty good, 73% from the line. He doesn't get to the line that much, although he did take more free throw attempts this season than he did uh, last year. And you were talking about his passing at the start of this too, Richie. Like, certainly, like, what he does on the short roll is really nice. Like, he he could do – he's had that in years past, and then this season he really added that little push-shot runner – but he's always had the ability to you know dribble twice and get to the rim or dribble once and hit a, hit someone in the dunker spot or hit a cutter on those short roll reads. But seeing the quick decision making, seeing them you know initiate with him at the elbow more this season um, was cool. I don't know what the numbers looked like for it this season, but during uh, last year, the 21-22 season, uh, Sports Info Solutions put out the, their metrics for um, – players who were the best in the NBA at maintaining advantage, right? So not 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 being the person to finish the play and not being the person to like start the possession by using a ball screen and creating some of that initial advantage, but being that connecting piece in the middle. And PJ was one of rated, graded out very highly. So if he if you do have him slotted in to that sort of like more off ball role, you know, you're not just getting the shooting. You are getting some passing you are getting some um, – you are getting his ability to maintain advantage in the half court, which is a big deal for this team. And some of his catch-and-shoot activity also comes off pick-and-pops, right? And he can be a real threat as a screener. We've talked about this for years because he can he can dive, he can short roll, he can slip, he can pop, and he can hurt you in a bunch of different ways when he catches it in space. So – I think it's probably something between like in terms of like usage and role, it's probably something between what last season was and like what this year was, you know what I mean? Like, I think you do want him in, in as more of like a, you know, third or fourth option kind of, kind of setup, but that doesn't mean you're not using him. That doesn't mean he's just standing in the stupid corner all game. Like there's, you want to, you want to tap into his skill set, you know? the passing, the screen setting, the playmaking, and the shooting. And he's a closeout beater, too. Like, he can can take it off the dribble. It doesn't always have to be out of the screening situation. And I know that you're higher on him on the defensive side of the court than maybe most, but I think the one thing that we have mentioned with him, whether it's on offense or defense, like, if you were to pick a word, it would be versatile. Like, I don't necessarily think he was the best defender last year, like DSJ, in my opinion, was. But I do think he was the most versatile defender. And I think that matters. If you want players that can stay on the court in crunch time or 
in the future, if the Hornets make the playoffs, that's an area and where you have to start. You have to have players that can slide across multiple positions. He guarded a variety of players, point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, primary ball handlers, slashers, like all these different types of guys. And he's not a traditional rim protector, but he's definitely going to be a guy that can slide over on the weak side and, and get a weak side block from now and then. But would you agree with that statement that maybe he wasn't the best defender, but he might have been the most versatile defender? Or do you think that he was better than uh, DSJ? No, I think, I mean, they do different things well. Yeah. You know, DSJ is such a source of pressure on the basketball, the screen navigation, the lateral quickness, the tenacity, being able to blow stuff up. And obviously, like, DSJ's athleticism on hustle plays, you know, was a big deal. His ability to make kind of like winning plays, the the chase downs, the back taps, that type of stuff. But yeah, I would say PJ has been for a couple of years now the most versatile defender on this roster because he can switch. And we've seen him switch out, as you said, like the full range of players from Chris Middleton to Trey Young to Keldon Johnson to Shea Gilgis Alexander, like big time, like the best creators in the world you know like some of the best players in the world and he's pretty comfortable at doing it that we've seen him also like man up in the post one-on-one against Giannis we've seen him guard pick and roll in a bunch of different capacities we've seen him anchor Charlotte's defense when they've gone zone heavily prior to Steve Clifford under James Borrego so yeah his ability to do all of that he's not like the quickest laterally but he's smooth um and he's and he's solid and so that yeah when he it he has these moments sometimes where he beats a ball handler to the spot and you just see him like wall up. The ball handler kind of like bounces off of him and is like, whoa, I, I thought I was going to – you can see guys being like, wait, I can't get around him. So, um, yeah, I would say he is the most versatile defender, but he's not like a he's not like a perimeter stopper necessarily, you know. Um, right. and, and Smith, I don't even know if that is Smith's role either. He's a little bit more limited just because of his size but he is a guard stopper and a menace at the point of attack. It's funny. I'm looking at uh dunks and threes, uh, defensive EPM and DSJ is number one on defensive EPM and Washington is number four for the roster. Mm-hmm. There is one guy above Washington that, you know, played a little bit limited role, but Gordon Hayward actually is second mm-hmm. on the team in defensive EPM. So I think that's a good, transition here over to Hayward but before that what is your grade on PJ Washington in terms of uh meeting expectations versus exceeding or failing to meet last thing last stat I was looking at the Cerebro Sports database and PJ in their in their metric CRAM PJ was at 6 6.5 with that it was top 120 in the league um and he's in the same neighborhood as guys like Emmanuel Quickly, Jonas Valanciunas, Markel Fultz Bobby Portis, Avicha Zubach, Cam Johnson, Kyle Anderson, um, Paolo Bancaro, like uh, Draymond Green's actually right around there too. So yeah, I, and I actually think Kyle Anderson's like an interesting, like that's a that's like a role player he should like look into tapping into a little bit more as far as like the secondary playmaking goes. Um, he's a Kyle Anderson's a really nice player, but I would say PJ, I would say he met expectations this season that, for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I had in the article. Okay, last player here, and uh, we'll try to get out of here in 10 to 15 minutes. Gordon Hayward, 33 years old, averaged 15 points, four rebounds, four assists in 50 games played. 
again, the, the conversation about his injuries still comes up. You just wish that he could stay on the court 60, 65 games, but maybe that's just something that he's never going to attain while here in Charlotte. And I, he always talks about how his injuries are unfortunate and unlucky. It's, you know, to a certain extent, I do agree, but with Gordon, he, he's just such a known commodity to me. Like I, I just know kind of like PJ, like stylistically, I know what I'm getting out of Gordon veteran presence, calming presence. He can handle the ball. He can set screens. He can, you know, be a facilitator. And then defensively, we saw some improvements there where he was fighting through screens and, you know, getting down into stance. And I think Steve Clifford was a guy that, rubbed off on everyone but to me it feels like even at this older age that he he is doing things that you know you got you you have to applaud so i think that he's showing up in all levels uh and that and that compete level on the defensive side of the court uh, is something good to see and then one thing too the the volume wasn't necessarily there i mean i don't think it's like a crazy volume but he did shoot his greatest percentage at the rim out of any season in his career and I think I kind of noted this throughout the course of the season, but just his way that he obviously does not have the athletic ability to get up off the court and beat a guy to the rim, but he can dribble, decelerate, and sometimes that allows the defender to go by him, and he kind of slows down right before he gets to the rim. So he shot 72% at the rim this season, albeit on a lower volume. But to me, that's that's still a really, really good percentage and something that PJ that we forgot to mention uh, still needs to work on. So yeah, initial thoughts on Gordon Hayward's 2023 season. I thought he, well, first off him playing 50 games, it's the most ever in a season for him uh, in a Charlotte uniform. Yeah, no, I mean, there were times this season where it looked like he was going to play like 20 games just yeah. like early on. So I give him a tip of the cap to him trying to come back and play on, you know, very young roster, what well, in the midst of a lost season for Charlotte. Yeah, you know, there's just no way he saw this the way like things playing out this way in Charlotte. I mean, I do think that this chance always existed. And certainly there's been there was plenty of downside risk in that contract when they agreed to it with Hayward. But as has always been the case with him, I remember I remember talking about this with Spencer last year, like on an April end of year pod with Spencer. And he and I were both, I'm going to say the same thing that he and I talked about on that pod, but it was like, when healthy, he's a very good offensive player, like full stop. He's just, he's just very, very, he's just very good. And I know the three point shooting, it dipped this year, which is unfortunate, but he's still a threat to shoot pull-ups. Pull-ups are not great this season percentage wise, but he can, he still got it. He is so versatile with his size, his shooting touch and his passing. You can use him pretty much any way you want to offensively. He can initiate pick and roll. They still run chin pick and roll with him. Uh, you can run him off staggered, so you can use him as a movement guy. Uh, at various points this season, he was, as as he always is, like a threat as a screener. Like we were just talking about PJ's short roll game. Gordon Hayward's damn good on the short roll too, in part because those often just turn into like post-ups. And he can get into his, use his size on a switch. He's abused Trey Young on that for years now since he's come to Charlotte. He is a threat to shoot, to, to score, draw fouls, and pass from every level of the court. Um, so yeah, he's but he is in this weird spot because he's not super available. He doesn't get to the rim, and the three point shot struggled this year. That said, 
Like he met my expectations. This is like what I've come to expect with Hayward. Like when healthy, he's a very productive and effective offensive player. He's overtaxed. He's asked to do too much this season. I kind of thought like he faded into the background at times this year, but again, he was productive and yeah, it's crazy. Only one year left on that contract. Like, you know, they really are going to see it to the end here with Gordon and, uh, but yeah, I would say he met expectations and offensively, I, I just think he was, I think he was pretty good. I, I, I'll pull up like some of the impact numbers and see, but my feel of it was that, yeah, he was like, he was just very solid um, and a guy that they could run offense through, which they were starved for throughout the season. Yeah, he met my expectations as well, and especially when it comes to his uh, availability. <laughs> still, still disappointing in that aspect, but like anyone expecting him to play seventy games like PJ did is just kind of setting themselves up for failure. And I don't know what you think about this. I was asked about um, about this question on WFNZ last week in terms of him being on, I guess, an expiring contract now. Is there any chance that, number one, should the Hornets entertain trade ideas? And then number two, do you think any team would be willing to go after Hayward? Or is it one of those things that he's probably going to have to play a handful of games yeah. and kind of kind of create that confidence with other teams? Because I, I don't think he's going to be traded this offseason. I, I wouldn't think that a team would take that on, not knowing his injury status. I feel like they would have to feel a little bit comfortable before making that deal. Yeah. You and I are on the same page here Uh, to answer your first question. Yes. They should absolutely explore it. You know, they, this is an expiring contract when healthy, he's still a useful player. Um, And, you know, they may have a, you know, there may be a a, a three coming into a small forward coming into the roster next season, depending on who they, where they draft and who they draft. So, um, and maybe you want Hayward around to help sort of like show, you know, if it's Brandon Miller or Amen Thompson or uh, one, you know, maybe you want him around as like a veteran presence mentor type guy for that player. But, um, but yeah, no, I think they should absolutely should explore. But with that said, it seems so unlikely. Like he makes a, it's a huge salary number to move, not impossible to move it, but it's a big one to move. And I don't know. Like if some of the, like, I don't know when some of the new sort of like CBA rules will get right. phased in um, as far as like, you know, uh, uh, teams that would be trying to acquire Hayward in a trade, like they would maybe have to send out more salary back, you know what I mean? To bring him in. Um, so maybe even that gets a little bit harder. I don't know when those rules are getting phased in. Um, but that's maybe one other thing that said, like, even without that, it's a big number to move. And the injury history is is probably enough to make this a very small list of teams that would be like a desperate enough to be like, we need an exp- like we're willing to like part ways with an asset here. Right. It, it, like to be like, is that how you in this situation? Are you in terms of this value proposition? Are you seeing a team that's trading for Hayward giving up? like a, right. a building block piece right like this is not charlotte because I mean, at this point they're not just trying to like unload the contract right like it's expiring and they just let it run out just to be clear though you're in this situation this is like an, an opposing team or franchise they're giving up you know dead salary and a draft pick for hayward right you know that's, yeah. that's how you're yeah okay that's, that's same here 
Yeah, I just think the list of teams, I mean, we'll see what the league looks like in a couple of months, but it just seems so narrow. It's not out of the question, but my guess is that the window in time for this to, for Hayward to like be a trade ship, that it's, it's probably come and passed. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I also think maybe from both sides, from the Hornets perspective or from another team's perspective, it probably makes more sense for the Hornets to hold on to him and see what value he can bring for maybe a rookie or anyone on the roster versus maybe trying to trade him because you just never know what that that output is going to be in terms of the incoming salary mm-hmm. because you're probably if you do take on maybe a draft pick, you may have to take on salary for more than just this season. And I think. <laughs> It, and also, if they, I mean, if they get, if they luck into their one pick and they get one Binyama, they might, they're probably going to be thinking like playoffs next season would be my guess. And like, it would, if that's the case, you know, whether that's like the right or wrong approach or if it's the mathematically sound projection or whatever, but like you would want like Hayward still useful. Even if you only have him for 50 games, you probably want that playmaking, that screen setting, that type of stuff uh, as part as the, the mix offensively. Before we get out of here, <laughs> during the exit interviews, he was asked a question about minutes restriction. I don't know if you heard this, but mm-hmm. you know how the beginning of um, the season they were talking about maybe having a plan for him, right? In terms yes. of like, <laughs> yeah. load yes. management. And that yeah. I mean, you saw from the minutes early on that didn't feel like it was actually taking place. Right. And he was asked a question about that, and he said, no, there wasn't really the strictest of minute restrictions on me. So. It seemed very conflicting, so uh, <laughs> doesn't doesn't surprise me in the least. But uh, yeah, that was a quote from Hayward. So, all right. Uh, so we talked about Mark Williams, PJ Washington, and Gordon Hayward. We both said that Washington and Hayward met expectations, and Mark Williams slightly exceeded expectations. And then for future episodes, we're we'll, we're going to get to the other players. We're going to talk about them as well. We appreciate you guys joining us today. As always, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Review us on Apple Podcasts. Visit buzzbeat.substack.com for information about our private podcast feed where you can get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes. This specific episode was released 24 hours ahead of time. So for Brian, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys later.